Johanna is an only child, and it was just her and her mom growing up, and they were incredibly close. Johanna's mom died when Johanna was 29 years old. Navigating life since her mom's death has left Johanna feeling lost, empty, and trying to pave a path for who she's supposed to be now. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Johanna's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Johanna, and Johanna is in one of the Carolinas, which, you know, a little bit of my heart is down in the Carolinas, plus I I forgot to tell you, but I lived in Myrtle Beach for 10 years, so um, yeah. So I always uh, love when somebody is down from that neck of the woods and I'm going to try to refrain from saying y'all. Do you say (laughs) y'all? Oh, I will say it. I'll say it. Okay, (laughs) good. My husband's always like, man, when you get around your Southern friends, it just comes back out, which is not a bad thing. Uh, uh, So anyways, I'm going to turn the mic over to Johanna and let her tell her story. And then as always, I will be back with a question or two at the end. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Beth. I really appreciate it. And um, this platform that you've created for so many people like me who just want a chance to talk about their person. Um, And my person is my mom, Melanie. And I like to use the word is because was just seems so weird and unnatural. And she still is. I definitely believe that she's around me and I feel her. Um, So I am going to actually start just give a little bit of background of my mom's, uh, my mom and I's relationship from when I was young, because obviously that plays a huge part in where, you know, I am now. So um, I, my mom and dad, my dad is fully Lebanese um, from the Middle East to the country of Lebanon. And in his twenties, he was escaping the civil war and um, decided to come to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I am. And um, my mom was already here. And they met working at Domino's. And um, my dad is Muslim. My mom was not only Christian, but she was a Christian educator, was actually my youth director in church growing up. Um, So obviously, you can see those are pretty opposite sides of the spectrum, uh, religion wise. But my mom was the most open minded person I know. And she was huge on, you know, making decisions for myself and kind of feeling things out and seeing what I thought about things and then making a decision. She never forced me into believing something. It was always just about, you know, what do you think? Um, so my mom and dad met, they had me. And then when I was three, they did divorce. Um, ultimately, you know, just things didn't work out. And, Um, My dad stayed in Charlotte as long as we did up until I believe I was around the age of seven. And at seven years old, my mom and I moved. It was a pretty sudden move for me. I think my mom tried to shield me from a lot and um, kind of told me not long before we left Charlotte, hey, we're moving to the beach. And we moved the night before third grade started. um, So the day before the first day of school. And um, we moved to the coast of North Carolina, about six hours from Charlotte. And because mom and I moved, my dad was not going to follow us. He didn't have any family in the States. So he moved back to Lebanon. From there, I did not see my dad until I was 14. So I went about seven years without seeing him. I saw him for two weeks when he came and visited with his new wife and they had a daughter at the time. And 
Um, I saw him then, and then I did not see him again until I was 25. I made the decision to fly to the Middle East by myself because I wanted a chance to kind of see if I could get to know my dad better. Um, and at, at this point, I have uh, three half siblings by my dad and his wife um, who are fully Lebanese. And um, so I went to see him when I was 25 in Lebanon, and then I went back when I was 20 seven I went to Kuwait and then I went back again last summer because I well I love to travel and um, I love a chance to get to you know connect with my other family especially after my mom died that was really important for me because I I'm still working on my relationship with my dad um, so I don't have much a ton of family other than that um, immediate um, so I, when my mom and I moved to the coast, you know, I, I very much, I was always a mama's girl. Um, I was, because I didn't have the best relationship with my dad, I was very skeptical of men, which followed me through my whole life and made things really hard. And so I was very much attached at my mom's hip and I was her only child. And it was always us, you know, just the two of us. And we, I mean, we were just extremely close. I don't, I don't even know that we ever went through a time, you know, like the teenage years where you're, you know, you get mad at your mom. I, we just didn't do that. Um, but mom also wasn't a very, mom wasn't like a girl's girl either. So I did kind of have to figure out a lot of stuff on my own. You know, like, I don't know anything about makeup. I don't know anything about, like, I shop at thrift stores. I don't like fancy things. My mom, that was something we really connected on. She was a thrift store queen. Um, I still shop at the same thrift store that she took. She, when she was pregnant with me, she would take me to this thrift store. And when I was young, like growing up, I would go to this thrift store with her because she didn't have anybody to keep me. And I would always complain because we'd be in, in there for like two hours. And I'd be like, I don't want to go to this thrift store. It is my favorite thrift store now. And I shop there every weekend. So it's funny how, you know, things come around. Um, so I had, I had a great childhood in retrospect from what I knew as a child. But I think obviously we grow up and we realize that some things weren't always, you know, amazing and rainbows and unicorns. Um, so... I've, you know, I'm a, a huge proponent of therapy and I've been in therapy for a while, way before my mom died. And, um, I've learned a lot. I've learned that there were parts of my childhood that I thought were so great. And maybe, you know, they were hard. They were hard. Um, my mom was a hoarder and like a pretty extreme hoarder. Um, and I didn't always, I, I guess I realized that growing up when I would go to a friend's house and their house just, you know, was so clean and they ate dinners together and it was just very different than what I used to. And I kind of slowly, I was used to, and I slowly kind of realized, oh, okay, maybe the way you're growing up isn't like completely the same as others. Um, I, we also didn't have a ton of money, something else. I mean, I would, I always remembered asking my mom, are we poor? But she would always say no, but we, we didn't have a lot. Um, we, my, I said, my mom was the youth, my youth director in church. We, the church was really good to us. Um, so they helped us out a lot. I will say 
this is something I have a hard time with, but I'm not as religious now. Um, I struggled a lot with some of the things that my mom went through in church um, from, a, from dealing with other people. And then she ultimately actually, when she was diagnosed, which obviously I'll get to her journey, but when she was diagnosed with cancer, um, she was actually actively getting out of a leadership role at the church. And she had gone back to school at UNC Chapel Hill to get her master's in social work, which she would have been so good at. She was halfway through her master's. Um, so, you know, I, I would say I'm more spiritual now. And um, I I feel my mom all around me. I, I have a pretty cool... Cool. That sounds like a weird term. Um, I have a pretty beautiful um, death story for my mom that, you know, it's like, how can you not believe that there there is an afterlife or there is something there that is so comforting to know that she's still there? Um, I, I My mom was known as the butterfly lady because growing up in church, um, she would she would order caterpillars and for every Easter we would raise these caterpillars into butterflies. And so, and then we would let them go on Easter. So, I mean, I have this picture. I used it as my mom's obituary picture of her in a colorful hat and it has a giant, beautiful, uh, like a monarch butterfly on the top. And everybody called her the butterfly lady. Like if you, if you saw a butterfly or somebody was doing something with butterflies, they'd say, Oh, Melanie, you know, she's the butterfly lady. And I had told you earlier, Beth, that I'm wearing her earrings and it's a caterpillar and a butterfly. I feel closer to her when I, you know, wear her earrings or other, you know, pieces of jewelry. But um, I see butterflies a lot and it's not just like, oh, I see a butterfly. Hey, mom. It's like the story of last week. Um, I started, I'm a teacher. I started school and on the first day of school, um, actually the third day of school, a student showed up and it was kind of like, whoa, you just changed the whole dynamic of my classroom with your behavior. <laughs> um, it was, it was kind of one of those students. Um, but he has been through some extreme, extreme trauma. And, um, I remember thinking the day that he came, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? Like, this is going to be a hard year. How am I going to deal with this kid? Um, but my mom was always my biggest supporter as a teacher. And she would come like set up my bulletin boards for my classroom and help me set up the classroom and give me ideas. Um, and I would talk about my kids. I, I call them my kids. I would talk about my kids to her all the time. Um, so that was a huge loss when I lost her because I, I want, like, I want to talk about my group, every group I get each year, like, Hey, this kid and this kid. Um, but this specific child came to me and I was like, man, he's going to give me a run for my money. Um, well, we were at recess last, so his second day there, and it's about time to line up. And I look over and he is chasing butterflies in the grass. I mean, you can see the butterflies running around or flying around and he's chasing them. And I call his name and I say, come on, it's time to get in line, time to get in line. And he is just ignoring me. So I'm testing, you know, testing my patience. Come on, Johanna, you got this. And finally he runs over and I kid you not, I have a picture of it. The butterflies follow him and two of them land right here on his shirt and they stay there 
for like a good seven seconds. And I've got the sweetest picture of him just looking down at the butterflies on his shirt. And I took that as, okay, mom, I hear you. He's supposed to be in my class. I will have patience. Um, so she she finds ways to speak to me. And um, I mean, I've got so many stories like that. It's almost unfathomable. Uh, I write them in the notes section of my phone just so that I can always look back and remember all the different signs that I get from her. Um, so those, those are really special. They don't replace her, but they're special. Um, so <laughs> all that to say, uh, how did I get on your podcast? Well, um, I was 25 and it was Christmas Eve. And I went to uh, the church, a church service with my mom. My grandmother's an organist. She was playing for her church service and mom and I were sitting in the pews. Um, this is something we did every Christmas Eve, you know, go to church. And the service gets done and a woman that I know walks over to my mom and says, Melanie, and gives her a big hug. Oh, I've been praying for you. And my heart dropped. And I'm like, what? And I look at my mom and I can see she gets this uneasy look on her face. And she just looks at me. And she goes, Johanna, just, it's fine. It's fine. And I'm like, mom, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, freaking out. She's like, let's, let's just step outside. And I don't know why I, I would say I'm a pretty intuitive person. Also, I think when you've gone through so much emotionally, like you just grow that intuition. But I looked at her and I said, mom, do you have cancer? And I don't know why that was the thought. And I guess I wanted that validation of like, no, silly girl, <laughs> no. And she didn't, she didn't move. She just stared at me. And ooh, that moment was really tough. Um, and that was the beginning of, gosh, just the hardest life journey. Um, I did not have a good Christmas <laughs> that year. Uh, I was supposed to stay with my mom and grandma that night. My mom had actually, when my mom left the church to go back to school um, to do classes, uh, to get her master's in social work, my mom ended up leaving where we were living on the coast and coming back toward where I live, but about an hour away to live with my grandmother. She didn't have cancer at that point, but she was living with my grandmother. It ended up really working out that she was there because that was where she ended up living throughout the end of her life. Um, so... I just remember that night, that Christmas Eve, I was supposed to stay with my mom and grandma, and I just couldn't. I mean, I, I had just received something. I had received word of something that I never thought could happen to me, like cancer. That's so foreign. Other people go through that. Um, it was uh, that night. I drove home, and by the time I got home, my eyes were swollen shut because I cried the entire way home. Um, I did go back for Christmas the next day, but I don't remember any of it because I was in such a fog. Um, and then at that point, she did tell me she had known for 10 days and she was trying to figure out the best way to tell me, which again, there comes that, you know, motherly figure of trying to save me from everything. But I would say like, I grew up at the age of 25. That was when I feel like, okay, I'm an adult. <laughs> um, and you know, my mom never remarried. That was kind of on me. She never even dated again because I, it was just the two of us and I wanted her to myself. And, um, she was so fiercely independent anyway. I don't think that it would have ever worked out with, with somebody else. She was just a force to be reckoned with. 
Um, so her chemo started pretty quickly, chemo and radiation. By the end of her cancer journey, which she died when I was 29. So my grief started at age 25. I think that's something I don't hear a lot of people talking about. People talk about grief as after a person dies, but you can very much actively grieve somebody while they're still alive. And I went through a, a big portion of my grief journey when she got diagnosed with cancer, because watching someone, as you know, just slowly, slowly, just their whole life cripple and, and just become the shell of a human is the hardest thing to watch because you have no control over it. And I'm a control freak. So what does the control freak do when their mom tells them, hey, I have cancer? Um, uh, so by the end of her treatment, when she did, uh, before she died, she had gone through 38 chemo treatments, 38. Um, so she found out in December of 2017, we went through a whole year and a, around the same time, December of 2018, she goes back to the doctor. I mean, she's obviously had her doctor's appointment, but she she goes back to the doctor and they say, we don't see cancer. It's looking great. You know, we're not going to say you're in um, remission, but it's looking good. I, again, the intuition was like, I don't feel that. I don't feel that that's right. And then I just watched her over the next few months and she just it, it wasn't right. She was not feeling well. She was, you know, I mean, she had lost so much weight. Um, I do also remember the phone call, the FaceTime. I was, I had taken a trip, which I felt really guilty for. I felt guilty every time I traveled because it was always that what if in your mind, what, what if, what if something happens to her now? And I went on this and I'll never forgive myself, but she was always very much like Johanna go. Um, so I went on this trip cross country uh, I drove with some friends all the way out to Colorado from North Carolina. And I remember being at a campsite in Colorado. My mom texts me and she says, this was in summer of 2018, I believe. She texts me and she says, can I FaceTime you? And that was not like my mom. So she FaceTimes me and she's bald. And that was, she had, they had to shave her hair. And it's like, it seems so silly because that's such a, it's, it's a physical, like we're, we're not our bodies, but we see our bodies and we see everybody else's bodies. So that is such a huge part of someone. And I lost it. I just lost it at this campsite in Colorado. Um, because for me, it represented, oh man, like this is the visual of the cancer. Um, so that was, that was about six months after her diagnosis. So I'm kind of skipping around. But then in December of 2018, they had said, things look good. And I just didn't believe it. I would say about four to six months after that. So now we're in like halfway through 2019. She calls me, we're talking and she's like, hey, do you want to come up for the day? Um, this was at my grandma's. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, very normal for us to just me to go spend, you know, a day with her on a weekend or whatever, even before she had cancer. But then unfortunately, especially when she got cancer, and I hate to say that, why does it take sometimes people getting sick for us to realize, you know, 
hey, I should spend time with them. Um, so I went to see her and I remember we sat down in the living room and we watched the movie Instant Family. Well, we were sitting down to watch the movie Instant Family and the movie didn't start yet. And she just looks at me and I was like, so, you know, um, how, like, how are things going? And she just so calmly, it was always her to be so calm about everything. She calmly says, well, I went to the doctor and Jojo, that's what she called. She called me Jojo or Johanna Banana. Jojo is terminal. Just so calmly. And I just remember, like, she said that. And I tried to keep, I was like, I've got to stay strong in this moment right now. Like she is hurting and I need to stay strong. I'll have my time in the car. I've got to stay strong. And I just said, well, how do you feel? Like, how do you feel about this? And she said, you know, I'm at peace. And then we watched a movie and I sat there with tears rolling down my cheeks the entire movie. <laughs> um, Cause just to sit there and then process like, I'm sitting next to my mom and she is actively dying. Um, one thing mom used to say once she found out that she was terminal was, we're all terminal. We are, you know, every single one of us. We, we don't know when our time is going to be, but we are all, we are all dying. I mean, that sounds morbid, but we don't have long here. My mom just died a little bit sooner than I would have liked her to. Um, so 2017 was a hard hit and then 2019 was a harder hit because I'm a planner and I wanted to I wanted to know I would have tell you I would tell you even right now I would want to know if I could go back I would say yep I want to know the day and time that she's going to die um that's just who I am and planning for it can you plan for that would have I don't know would have helped me um, I know not everybody's like that, but we all handle grief and life so differently. So, um, let's see, 2019, the terminal diagnosis. And it was almost like my mom just, she embraced it. She embraced death. Um, I told you before we started the recording, Beth, that, uh, my mom was on a podcast less than a month before she died. Um, her, and it was about actively dying. I mean, my mom did not shy away from death. It was very much, um, I, I am grateful for that, that I got to have every conversation I needed to have. I got to have closure. I got to ask questions that I might not have gotten to ask. And were they uncomfortable? Extremely, extremely. But because she embraced it, um, she made her dying so much better for me and the people she left behind. And I am going to actually read something because I wrote it down, something that she said in her podcast. Um, the, the podcaster asked, you know, you are actively dying, Melanie. You know, what are, are you scared? And mom said, you know, we're all terminal and it's not about being scared. It's more about being hurt for those I'll leave behind. I'm going to be fine, but they're going to have to go through the grief process. I can't go it. I can't go through it for them. And that hurts me the most. Um, so again, mom embraced 
life and mom embraced death. Um, and I, you can't say that for everybody because we fear death so much. I think I read on your website, you said something about it's such, it's a, it's a topic that people get really uncomfortable with. And I might've been one of those people before she died and I went through this, but oh my gosh, if like, if I get a chance to talk about her, if I get to, a chance to talk about somebody else's person who died, I will take it because I now realize how important it is to just ask people about their person. Don't be, don't be, you know, afraid to, people get afraid to, you know, well, if I ask them about them, they're going to remember them. We're always thinking of them. Like, you know, it's, you're not going to remind us that they died. We know that. Um, so yeah, mom just embraced the death journey. And um, she slowly just kept, you know, kept uh, diminishing, I guess. I don't even know the right word. Um, she even planned, <laughs> she wanted to be there for her own celebration of life service. So she made it happen while she was alive. She invited everybody to my grandma's house. And we had a a, like a, a celebration of life while she was still there mom led it and they sang her favorite hymns and songs and everybody told stories and it was just the perfect perfect mom thing um on my birthday the year she died she ended up dying in 2021 in july 20 july 25th 2021 my birthday of that year was march 6th and her high school class was is from that town that she was living in. Her high school class planned this um, surprise parade for her on my birthday. I mean, they all got together. I'm talking about there were at least 50 people. The newspaper showed up. Um, like we had one of her friends showed up in like a giant unicorn inflatable thing. And they all... Um, they all started coming down the street. We told my mom like, hey, just sit in this chair in the front yard. You know, that's as far as she could go. And they all start coming down the street. And she, I, I have it on video. She's like, is, is this for me? And she, you know, it was just so special. Like that's all I could have wanted on my last birthday with her because that was my last birthday with her. And I knew it was going to be. Um, so again, there's something to say about embracing these things that, I don't have control and I don't have a choice. This is, this is happening. And I'm going to have to either hide in my turtle shell and not deal with it or embrace it and know that like, I'm only going to have my mom physically here for this long. Um, so that was a special memory and obviously her celebration of life while she was, she was still here. Um, she had her 58th birthday, uh, June 29th before she died the next month of July 25th um and she um sorry I'm losing my train of thought there's so many things swimming in my mind um she had her birthday and it kind of felt like it was coming soon um I remember very much and I keep using this word embracing but I kept realizing that I was embracing things that I knew were going to be final moments, things that were seemed so trivial, but like my mom and grandma and I went to the hospital, uh, went to Wake Forest, which was about an hour and a half drive from where we were. And she had to do that 10 days before she died. 
And I remember being in the car ride with her and my grandma and thinking, I've always loved it. My mom and grandma and I were like a trio, just they were my people. If you were to ask me, who are your favorite people? Mom, grandma. <laughs> um, and I remember being in that car ride and thinking, this is probably the last time we're all going to be in a car together. Um, it was not because July 20, I believe it was July 21st, I decided to go see my mom. I don't know why that day, but I decided to go see her and it actually ended up being about an hour or two after I got there. She was having, she was in palliative care and then she was in hospice care at home. Uh, well, I, I don't, she ended up going to the hospice house, but her nurses ended up coming and they said, it's, it's time. And we, mom and I had had that conversation. Where do you want to be? Um, and she had said the hospice house was fine. It was about five minutes from my grandma's house anyway. So we, we get her in the car and I honestly thought my mom was going to die in the car. I remember we had to, it was in my grandma's van. We had to put her on the floor in the back seat because she couldn't even get up in a chair. I mean, she was so frail. And that was the last car ride that the three of us had together on the way to the hospice house. Um, and that is, that's a tough memory. Um, but I remember even I like just watching her in the back seat, which I felt so much like a parent to her a lot in her cancer journey, uh, which is why I feel like I, you know, I had to grow up really fast and I didn't have, I wish I'd had siblings. I wish I had had somebody to, you know, go through this with me that was on the same wavelength. Um, I wish I'd had a father figure that I wish I had a better relationship with my dad. Um, I, I felt very lonely through this whole process and I still do a lot. Um, but we drove to the hospice house and we got her in there. And it was almost like, I, I hear sometimes that people will get the, I don't know if they're called death spurts or those spurts of energy, like right before they die. And she, you know, is she, they get her a bed. She's with it. I remember her, like she had her phone out. She's texting somebody and she's my, um, my fiance uh, and his son, my almost stepson, because we're engaged to be married. They were in the room. And I remember mom like had her phone out. She's videoing, you know, like she was with it. And that was the last time she talked. Um, I did not leave her side. Once I got to the hospice house, I refused to leave. Um, and this was all, I mean, I didn't even talk about how hard it was because she was dealing with cancer during COVID. So then you add that on top of it where I want to see my mom. I'm terrified to get her sick. I don't want her to die, die sooner than she's already going to. So just dealing with all that. Um, so this was still during the time 2021 where they would only allow cert a certain number of people in the hospice room. That was really tough. Um, because mom had so many people, has so many people that love her. Um, so we had to kind of switch things out, get creative, but thankfully we knew the woman who was the director of the hospice house. Her son was actually the one who did who has the podcast that had my mom on the podcast. So, you know, we kind of had some leeway there. Um, but I stayed in the room with mom the entire time. I mean, I 
would rush into the bathroom real quick and take like 30 seconds to pee and rush back out because I was so terrified that someone was, something was going to happen to her while I was gone. Um, so I stayed there from, I'm so sorry, I missed my dog. Um, I stayed there from when she got there, July 31st, and then she died July 25th. Uh, sorry, did I say 30? July 21st. I don't know what I said. And um, yeah, she died July 25th at, uh, I think it was 10.34 p.m. that night. So those days were beautiful. And that's so weird to say of a hospice house, but man, if you haven't met hospice nurses, I'm just speaking to anybody who's listening to this, they are absolute angels on earth. Um, I have the number of the nurse who was with us when mom died and she and I text and she'll see a butterfly and she'll text me a picture of the butterfly. Um, so I, you know, just really, really special humans. And I became this just protective mama bear of my own mom while I was there. And if there was something that my mom needed, oh, you better bet. I'm not that type of person. I'm not really like a super assertive person, but I became that because in a way it was like, this is my final act of love for my mom. You know, I'm going to make sure that she has everything that she needs and that she knows how much she's loved, even if she's not conscious right now. Um, so those days were really beautiful because, you know, my family was there. My mom's really close friends came. People came to visit. Um, there was a chaplain who came in with his guitar and he's like, do you want to sing any songs? And so mom and I used to sing You Are My Sunshine to each other when I was little. And so we sang You Are My Sunshine to my mom. Um, and then one of the days, uh, my there was a beautiful butterfly garden in the back of the hospice house. And I, two of my closest friends were there and I said, go get mom a butterfly and bring it in here. <laughs> and of course they did. So they brought this beautiful yellow swallow, swallowtail and they brought it in the room. Now they had it in a, you know, a butterfly mesh cage. And I opened the mesh cage because I was so like, I, mom needs to have this butterfly. And I opened the cage and the butterfly, you know, gets on my finger and it flies to the window. And so there's just this beautiful picture of this butterfly on the window. And then it let me put it on my finger and I let it down to my mom who was laying there and I rested it on her finger. So the butterfly was sitting on her finger in her final days. Um, so talking about signs, you know, little things like that. So um, I, I don't know. It was a beautiful experience. It was so, so tragic and sad, but um, but I realize now that things can be beautiful and things can be tragic simultaneously. I think that, you know, people are so used to, oh, death, but gosh, death is beautiful sometimes. So on mom's final day here on earth, uh, we're in the hospice room and we could tell that it's getting closer to the time that, you know, she might pass and um, the hospice nurses were very good about telling us, hey, you know, this is this is what we're noticing. This will probably happen in the next couple of hours. And um, we are in the room and it was around, I, she died at 10.34 p.m. So it was around 10 or so. Keep in mind, this is important. The weather was really pretty outside. I mean, like no chance of a storm, nothing like that. So mom, um, her, her breaths are getting shallower and the, she was surrounded by 
like her core group of people. It was me, my fiance, my grandma, and one of my mom's best friends, um, and, and my aunt. And we're all in there. And the nurse comes in and she's sitting there and she goes, it's probably going to happen soon, you know, within the next couple of minutes. And um, so we decided because my mom, you know, was she, church was really important to her. And I also say that in a way I know like church and Christianity has gotten so many different raps, but mom was such an open-minded Christian and loving Christian and loved you as you are. Um, so we decided to say the Lord's prayer. We finished the Lord's prayer. We said, amen. And she took her last breath. And then the lights flickered and we looked outside and it started lightning. I am not making any of that up. I am telling you, she, like, she and I had conversations about, hey, send me something. Send me a sign. Send me signs. Let, let me know that you're there. So that was very much her doing that. I, the, the hospice nurse let me, she gave me her stethoscope and she let me listen to know that there was not a heartbeat anymore, which I remember that being a very special thing for me because just going from you're a living, breathing human all of a sudden, and now you're, you're not there anymore. You're, you're out of your body. Like your body is now a shell. Um, that was very important to me. And then it hit me <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, my mom died. My mom died. And everybody cleared the room. They kind of, it was kind of just went without saying they, they knew the relationship my mom and I had. And I remember just laying on her body and just sobbing. That was really tough, um, but needed and necessary and important for me to have. And um, so, yeah. So mom planned everything. Like I said, she planned her own celebration of life service. She, um, I mean, I'm telling you the whole thing. <laughs> she planned her, uh, she had already had gotten, like she had made the calls and everything. One of her best friends was um, an opera singer and had just a wonderful voice. And she said, okay, can you sing this song at my service? And then she had all the different hymns listed. She had ex exactly what she wanted read. She had called the preachers that she had worked with in the past and said, I want you to do this, you to do this, and you to do this. And then mom was very big. I know you usually ask for quotes or something to, you know, remember, ruminate on at the end. But one of mom's quotes was, um, go light your world. And she had these, uh, she bought, again, she planned everything. She bought these uh, candle holders, like plastic candle holders for everyone to light a candle at her service. And she wrote when she was sick, she wrote on every single one of them, go light your world. There are 150 to 200 of them, by the way. Um, so we all held those up and during her service. And, and at the end they said, and Melanie wanted you to remember to go light your world. Um, so she just had this impact on people. I mean, like I got, I got messages from people that I didn't even know that said, your mom did this for me. Like your mom took in my hamster when I had to move and she did. 
she did stuff like that. And you would have never known. I would have never known that had these people not reached out. Um, mom was a just, she was a connector of people and she loved, she loved so deeply. So, um, so yeah. So since then, uh, something else that, that I wanted to share because it was really special is my fiance, my now fiance had apparently gone to my mom, um, a little while before she died and said, I want you to know that I, I do plan to propose to Johanna, but it's probably not going to be, you know, for a little while, but I do want, I want you to know that I will take care of her. And I want you to know that it's important that I have, you know, your blessing because you raised her. So of course, mom said, yes, she loved, she loved him. And um, mom knew that she wasn't going to be able to be a, a grandparent. So uh, for, my fiance's son, he, she, uh, she was like, can you call me Gmail? Because mom's name is Melanie and like grandmother Melanie Gmail. So it was really cute. He got to call her that. And, um, so Ty, my fiance, when he went to see my mom, he also did this thing that I did not know about until later. He pre-bought cards for my 30th birthday, my 31st birthday, and my 32nd birthday as you know from her and he got her to write in each one of them so since I have turned 30 and 31 I have received a birthday card from my mom and her humor just her quirky little humor on the envelope in the return address she put just over the border <laughs> she just was you know would come up with silly things like that but it, it it gave me such it gives me such comfort you know that she she was able to be so vulnerable in death that I, I, you know, that I don't, I have that closure. I don't have any regrets or questions. And I, you can't say that for every death experience. So I am, I am very aware how um, lucky I got in that area. Um, but so I've opened those cards and then she did, um, she did also write in baby cards that's going to be a little emotional because my fiance and I have um, decided, we've had a lot of conversations, but we've decided not to have any kids. Um, we do have his son, which I'm really thankful for. But as far as me having any kids, I wanted them, but I can't do it without my mom. Um, so that is a whole way that the traje traje trajectory excuse me, of my life has changed because my mom died when she was 58 and I was 29. Had she not? I probably would have wanted one kid. So that's really hard. You know, they, people don't really think about things like that. And I have not been met with the best responses from people when I say, hey, I don't think we're going to have a kid. They don't understand. Um, obviously, there are some other reasons, but that's a huge one. My fiance's mother passed eight, uh, nine years ago from cancer as well. So when I say we don't have that maternal support, we don't. Um, which is kind of how we initially bonded. Oh, your mom died. My mom's dying, you know? Um, but I do find a lot of comfort in him and being able to talk to him and knowing that he understands. I don't have to explain how I'm feeling. And a lot of, you know, I don't have many friends whose parents have died, but I have a couple and one of them, his mom died after my mom did. And that's been a really special relationship that we've had just because he's been able to come to me when 
when he is feeling something so strongly and I'm able to just sit there with him. And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, just sitting with people and letting them talk about their person. So, um, yeah, I, I guess one little other tidbit would be, uh, my mom had colorectal cancer and it is very preventable. Um, so get your colonoscopies. <laughs> um, if she had gotten her colonoscopy a few months earlier, she would still be here. And that's really hard to grapple with. Uh, she got it a little bit too late. And um, yeah, I, I what I didn't mention was when the doctor had, you know, told my mom it's terminal, it was because that it had come back and it had metastasized everywhere. Like when she died on her deathbed, she had a giant, I'm assuming it was a tumor, like a giant bump. I mean, huge right here too. I mean, she, her body was just, I mean, she, yeah. So get your colonoscopies. They lowered the age. That was the, that was another hard thing. The year that she died, they lowered the age for colonoscopies. That was almost like a gut punch. <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is important, you know? Um, so now the age is 45 that you can actually get your first one. And I, I got my first one when I was 19 because of, um, I was having stomach issues and they actually did find a precancerous polyp in me when I was 19. So thankfully they did catch it. That was even before mom had cancer, but thankfully they did catch that. So I have them every five years. Um, but that, that's hard stuff. Um, but I, I really try not to dwell on the, well, she could have, or it would have, and um, because it's not that, you know, it's not. And um, like I said, life can be beautiful and tragic at the same time. So I do have hard days and they come so randomly, as I'm sure, you know, um, but there are also really good days. And there are days that I will see something that reminds me of mom or hear something or see an interaction between people and think, oh, mom would have loved that. I would have called her and told her that story. Um, but I know that she's there and I know that she, she knows. And I'm comforted that one day, I think I'll, you know, experience her presence again. At least I sure hope so. And another thing, because obviously it all just keeps coming to your mind, but another thing is I don't think that people, um, I, I don't want to ever compare experiences because everybody experiences things differently. But I know that I read that your mom died when you were 13. And I do think that there is a difference when you lose somebody at such an early age versus when you lose them and you've had them in your life for such a long time. Because not only did you lose them early, you lost all the experiences that came after that you should have gotten with them. So again, like think about the trajectory of my life. I might've had a kid, but I've decided, we've decided that because we don't have that maternal support and we think it would be harder on us that we're not going to, um, you know, weddings, marriages, the difficult times that you just want your mom there for. Um, it's, it's. I, I do think it's really, really tough to maneuver through life when you have lost that person. So, um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. 
kind of all I have. And right unfortunately, now. it keeps coming. It does keep coming up and coming back with different, you know, stages of life and things that things that happen because right. Yeah, she is your mom. Yeah, right. Um, and and that's the thing is, I I would never want. I don't want people to experience this hurt, but they're going to because we are all going to experience it. And you're right. As we get older, we're going to collect these experiences and they're going to be, we're going to collect traumas and we're going to, it, it's going to be hard. Um, I really, I really enjoy talking about memories of people and, and I don't ever want to say I enjoy talking about death, but I feel like there are so many things that you learn from death that, I, you know, I, I want to talk about it. I, I joined a grief group like right after my mom died and that helped me a lot at that time. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a weird camaraderie in the grief community between people who you don't even know. Exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 But being part of that same club that nobody wants to be a part of just has this commonality that, um, provides a connection that has been, has been really, I mean, tremendous for me. It's been really, yeah. really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you definitely have learned a lot. Um, you know, the duality you said of, you know, being able to simultaneously experience something tragic and sad and beautiful at the same time. That's definitely something I've learned Yeah, as well. And I just said this to another, just another recent um, interview, but there's a woman, I think her name's Glennon Doyle Melton that came up yes. with the term brutal uh -huh. brutal and beautiful yeah that's, yeah. A, that's a great term <laughs> yeah. Makes a lot life of is yeah. brutal it sure yeah. is yeah mm -hmm. yeah well I am just this is probably the most intentional um that I've ever like you said she embraced life and she embraced death and uh I'm amazed at at the things that she did and for you to be able to vocalize the effect that that had on you. I love, I wrote down, had live celebration of life. Like, I don't know. I don't know how much, what else you would call it, but I love that. I often I mean, she even made, she made a flyer. Great. That is so great. Yeah. But yeah. she also had, I mean, her friends were, her, her friends embraced death with her which that takes quite a friend to do, you know? Um, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it was, and my mom was a talker. So that celebration of life while she was there was long. <laughs> but it, was, it really was like, you know what, mom, take all day. This is you, this is your time. But just to get those experiences that again, like, yeah, who has that? She, she did everything. It was almost like she, she should have written a handbook before she died of dying, dying, actively dying and embracing it, embracing yeah. death. Yeah. Um, dying she, well. Yes. Yes. That's what yeah. I was Dying well. She really did. Um, yeah. So that's why I, I've said that to a couple of people, like, oh, my mom's death was so beautiful. And, and they look at me like I have four they're like, heads. Because they're pushing was. the panic button under the table. Uh-oh. <laughs> right, it was. Like in those moments of when my mom couldn't walk anymore, we had to get her a wheelchair. Like she and I went shopping for a wheelchair together. And, and that was tough. But it was also like, it was cool. Mom, what color do you want? You know, so let's just embrace this. But she taught me that. 
You know, I would not be this person who can embrace these hard things without her example. Um, she was just a really great person. <laughs> but then there were other things you shared, like about when you showed up at her house and she told you, Jojo, it's terminal. And then you guys watched a movie. Like in some ways that sounds like a little bit like denial or deflection, mm-hmm. but, but she was, that's not the way she was. She wasn't that way. You right. know, I mean, was that right. just the way to, to say it and get it out there and then let you like do your own processing. And then you still obviously went through the experience together. So she wasn't in denial. Yeah, um, I do think so. And I do think that, you know, knowing me, she'd know that we were going to have a lot of conversations about it so that I do think it was, Hey, this is, you know, this is our moment. We are going to watch a movie, but we are physically, you know, here together. And she was just kind of letting me process it. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, those pivotal moments in your life where you just will never forget, you know, where you were mm-hmm. when you heard this or that. And, um, yeah, I'll never think of that movie the same. I can't watch it. <laughs> um, you know it is. yeah, different things. Yeah. That you're, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. Um, and the, her, the, we're all terminal. It's so true. It's so, so true. So true. Yeah. We are. And when you really, again, embrace, I think embrace has been such a, uh, you know, pop word here, but when you really embrace that we are, if that gets you to live a day a little bit more fully, you know, then maybe that's the point of it. Yeah. She, um, she, man, she sure did embrace life that, you know, Ty, my fiance and I have talked about it. And he said, you know, your mom, like she lived that life in 58 years. Like she really, she lived fully. There is no question that she lived a full life. She did. I wanted her here much longer, but she lived a full life. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so. hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And the parade, I mean, oh, yeah. it's just <laughs> so cool. And it is obvious that she did, like you said, she affected so many people deeply, yeah. that she was a connector and loved deeply. Um, mm-hmm. And so I love that she got to hear some of those stories about that, because that's what I always think at a funeral, like, man, I hope these people knew this. Right. You know? Oh, yeah, hope- she, she had no doubt. And she yeah. even would, like, Again, she knew that she was dying. So she embraced it. She would FaceTime people um, like in the months before she died, people that, you know, she hadn't gotten to talk to in a long time. They would, you know, they would FaceTime or they would have a phone call. And I mean, she really, there were so many people. People will randomly reach out to me and be like, think of thinking of your mom today. Um, so she was just, man, if everybody had a Melanie. She was my mom, but she was, she was a very special, special human. Um, Yeah. What a legacy. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, We we had a friend who um, died in our community who was just such a great guy, just in, just did everything for everybody and just a real community thing. And we, started the be like Kevin softball tournament. He was our girls softball coach. <laughs> so when you said be everybody, everybody should be like Melanie. Yeah. Um, oh, that's that's a, 
Um, I also love the stethoscope to listen to your mom's heart. What a really so is that something that they is that common? Have you never heard of that? No, no, <laughs> no. I was, I was like, maybe they just do this with everybody, but it was such an intentional, yeah, act to just that final that finality of yes, like this is real. This this this. There's no heartbeat anymore. Um, Cause they actually have to listen. I don't know how, I think it's two minutes. That seems like a long time, but I think they have to actually listen for two whole minutes to make sure. And so after that, she handed it over to me mm-hmm. and it was just kind of that. Okay. All right. You know, she yeah. is a, uh, a special, special woman. Her name is Sabrina, the hospice nurse, and she is an absolute angel on earth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think just think about how symbolic that is and how and and without being um like in an evil or malicious kind of way to just be like, wow, this is this is real because I think you could right. be like, well, she's just sleeping and she's gonna yeah. wake up or right. you know, right. I mean, so many things that you do when you're because even like you said, we my sister was in she died in this house on hospice. Mm-hmm. And so I mean when you're on hospice, you know that the right. terminal end is coming, but we still weren't ready. <laughs> we right. still, even though we knew you still, I just don't think your brain allows you to, to go there. Um, but well, what you haven't if, experienced it with that person either. You don't know what life is like without them. You know, mm-hmm. you can experience different deaths, but you don't know what death is like with, with that person that's leaving you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what a cool thing Sabrina did. Yeah, it's really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, and so if people are interested in listening to the podcast that your mom did, yeah. um, we can, we can link it in the show notes. If okay. somebody, okay. Yeah, we can definitely. We can the... It's on Spotify. Um, hmm. and I, yeah, I can say it's like 14 minutes, but, uh, mom did it a, less than a month before she died. So her voice does not sound at all. Like what mom sounded like. It's very, you can tell she's struggling, but it was important for her that she made that because she knew it was going to be left behind. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'll definitely send that to you. Yeah. I mean, the intentionality of Melanie is just, yeah, very remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. She was a very wow. intentional person. Yeah. Lucky you. I know. I Lucky me that I did. I She got to be my mom. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Johanna, as you know, I usually finish with, if you have a final thought or something you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up? I will. Um, they'll, if, if they choose to listen to the podcast or if they don't, I'll share it now. But one of the questions that was asked to my mom on the podcast was, how might you want to be remembered? And she said, her mantra is, especially in, in her cancer journey, was celebrate the temporary. Everything is temporary, the good and the bad. And it all needs to be celebrated for that very reason. Wow. I would say celebrate the temporary and in memory of Melanie, my mom, go light your world and put a smile on somebody's face, do something kind, uh, admire a butterfly. (laughs) When you see a butterfly, I think, oh, that Melanie woman. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. 
she uh, you're right she would have been a, a phenomenal uh, social worker <laughs> with sure. all these oh man the, yeah the mantras and her her outlook on life and death is just yeah 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 really amazing yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you so much for allowing me to just get to talk about my mom and get to talk to somebody who gets it I really appreciate that and um, thank you for just what you've done allowing people to share their stories Oh, thank you. Like I say, it's it's a privilege to be on this side. So thank you for sharing. Thank you, Beth. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.